0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. On News Talk. Today is September the 4th. It is the birthday of Henry Ford II, sometimes recalled as HF2, a man who would oversee some particularly transformative times in the Ford company history in the 20th century. He brought it to a publicly traded company. His lifetime, however, also brought major changes to the company's once enormous factory in Cork. Now, the story of Ford and Cork is a remarkable one. It begins at a time of revolution. It carries through decades of transformation in the automobile industry. And Donald Fallon has just hopped off his own Model T, his own tin (laughs) Lizzie, to come and tell us the whole story. Donald good to see you as ever Uh, Henry Ford uh, Henry Ford 2 HF2
1: uh, he made his own triumphant
0: return to Ireland in the 1970s and he really did get a hero's welcome when he
1: came and what's so amazing about it is it's the 1980s when the Ford factory in Cork closes so little could they know in the 70s how transformative the the immediate future was going to be for the the car game all over the world Mm. in in Cork in Detroit and everywhere else but yeah in 1977 HF2 what a great name Mm. uh, arrives in County Cork sounds like a spaceship HF2 sounds like one Uh, of those high Speed rail lines are trying to build yeah. in Britain amidst lots of like Midlands disruption. He wins the hearts of the Irish by flinging prizes in all directions and all expenses paid holiday to Detroit uh, for for two. Bestowed on one man, who was a winner of a competition to find the oldest cork built forts and tractor in Ireland. Okay. So you know, rewarded for his loyalty, uh, cars for factory workers drawn in a lottery. It was all very good. It was booming times still. Uh, born in september 1917 hf2 uh, was just a baby when you know his grandfather arrived in cork in very different times and his granddad henry ford mm. transformed the automobile industry in a way that would come to shape the 20th century you think about the car was anything as significant as the car you know it went from being an expensive luxury the preserve mm. of very few people into something that was more broadly obtainable and it changed everything from labour, you know, where you could go to work, how far you could live from work, mm. recreation, you know, where you could go on holidays. Uh, it shaped planning, it shaped our cities, suburbia. The car changed everything and no one changed the car quite like Henry Ford.
0: Indeed. Um, HF2, we should clarify for people who aren't as intimately familiar with the family history, HF2 is the grandson of the original Henry, which is why he's HF2 and not a HF junior. Um, Henry Ford, the, the elder... Uh, was the son of an immigrant, but they did settle in a more unusual American city
1: than a lot of others. Yeah, born in the 1860s, son of Corconi and William Ford and his dad from near Clonakilty, had gone off in 1847, so God right, at the, height, right yeah. at the height of the crisis, uh, the famine. And, you know, we think of that period of emigration that's comes up all the time in this slot. It's New York, it's Philadelphia, Chicago, it's Boston. Detroit doesn't really come to mind. But what mm. I didn't know before researching this piece, Irish migration to Detroit was significant enough and from like one part of Ireland that an area in the western side of the city became known and is still known as Corktown. Which is amazing. <laughs> so Corktown, wow. Detroit. Yeah. So Henry Ford, he has this emotional attachment to Cork that's very real, you know, but his story... Is very much connected to the development of of Detroit. And actually, it's quite sad Detroit today because, you know, a little bit like Belfast had the shipbuilding industry. That mm. disappeared. But now, that's kind of become tourism. The tourism thing didn't really happen for Detroit out of the car industry. It's just an industry that disappeared. Yeah, But it is a city with a historic connection to the automobile industry unlike, you know, any other. And Ford began as the Detroit automobile company in August 1899.
0: Yeah, Detroit is one of those cities that's now in such hard times that I think it's one of those cities where you can actually, you can literally buy a house or you can almost buy a row of houses for a dollar. But because the idea is that then you have to invest the money to bring them up to code, but they're desperate for people just to take out their election to try and restore the city because such as the, the the fall of the the major industry that kept it going. Um, Ford proved to be one of the real great American classic textbook American success stories. And it was all really down to that
1: one car. Yeah, they love these stories in America, don't they? You know, you can if I can, you can make it here. Anyone can make it here if they work hard enough. That idea, and I suppose Ford is the great American success story, as you say. The Model T car, uh, the Model T arrives in October 1908. It's the American car of the early 20th century. The Model T. I mean, it's it's eight hundred and twenty-five dollars in 1908. Still a lot of money, so, yeah. but Ford was obsessed with making it cheaper, more accessible. I think he eventually gets it down uh, to under four hundred dollars. And there's a uniform about the car you know they were all black Yes. Black paint dried famously. Quicker. Yeah. And Ford is that famous, what it was? Apparently, that's what it was. It okay. dried quicker. And Ford famously put it any customer can have a car painted any colour that he wants, so long as it's black. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. And it's estimated that at one point, half of all cars on the road in America were Ford Model Ts, which is absolutely amazing. That's astonishing. Uh, I knew that he was
0: uh, big in uh, assembly lines and uh, conveyor belts and trying to like do this stuff at a math level, but even the idea that it was black paint because it dried quicker, that just blows my mind. Um, it is later on when Ireland entered the mind of Henry Ford and he does see it as something of a mission to try and uh, and give something back to the outside absolutely. and to lift the country economically
1: Because the success keeps coming I mean they're, they're producing a quarter of a million units by 1914 which is absolutely amazing well, when, think, when there is otherwise so little of a market for cars Absolutely yeah. and I mean the First World War begins in that year too that would have negative impacts you know wartime inflation still a reality in the Mm -hmm. world you know that's what happens but you know Ford has this fascination with Ireland and that leads to the Leaside factory and in his own words it was about bringing industry to Ireland or to be more precise to quote him to start Ireland along the road to industry great way of putting it that's mm. what he sees as his mission God, yeah. and 1917 it's announced a Ford company factory be constructed in Cork manufacturing or aiming to manufacture 50,000 Fords and tractors a year incredible uh,
0: that's even just that line about bringing industry to Ireland he's not just like bringing his industry or bringing some industry he's actually talking about Bringing industry Industry our, with a capital I you yeah. know, Bringing industry Because to the country. Cause basically It was a country That effectively hadn't had Very much industry of its own Which which is striking to think Was it just An emotional attachment to Cork Was it like Oh that was from From Clon from So I need to go back to Cork or, or was there Something more at play For the choice of site?
1: I think, like, Leanne Blaney has written a great history of the car in Ireland. She, she makes a point that it's a lot more at, at play here than just you know going back to the old sod. She writes that there was a belief that Cork was in less danger of German U-boat attacks. Cork was <laughs> geographically closer to America uh, you know, from where all the raw materials needed to construct the tractors would have to be imported. Okay, yeah. And then she makes this great point though Cork was not industrialised to the same extent as many other regions of the UK it did have a large labour force many of whom already had substantial experience of working in the city's breweries. I mean, Cork is Anonymous with breweries like Beamish, Mm. Murphy. So that meant that there was experience, you know, in factory work. And that was definitely a, a okay. pull factor there too. So in okay. one sense, yeah, Cork was perfect. And then there is the positive press. You can't get away from the positive press of a returning migrant name, you know. So it's practical. Uh, there's economic reasons behind it. There's emotional reasons behind it. And the site is Cork Park horse racing venue, which had drawn tens of thousands of people on occasion to mucky horse racing. But that's the site that's chosen. Now,
0: there was one line in there, and I stress that this is you quoting from the and You're not putting it all out there, but you, you talked about 1917 and how Cork was... Uh, you know, less industrialised than other parts of the United Kingdom, which is an interesting turn of phrase because we're we're talking about a time of revolution where there's an awful lot up in the air, and one would think that. These being dangerous times across Ireland yeah. and in Cork, that it would impact on this burgeoning new industry that was trying to set up there at the time.
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago when, when I did that show on RT, National Treasures, we went around the country with, with John Donal Creedon. Donald was the National yeah. Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> we you know John Creedon was the National Treasure. We just followed him around the country. But we asked people to bring along stuff that they thought told the story yeah. of, of Ireland. And one of the items that was brought to our attention was a grenade moulding from workers at the Ford factory which wow. was amazing. So these lads these lads were like creating IRA munitions, you know, on the side in the force factory. <laughs> so that's the time that we're in, you know, and it, it's really interesting when you read the correspondence between Cork uh, and and Detroit, you know, one management figure, a great quote that Leanne finds. He writes back during the war. He says, "Conditions in Ireland seem to be getting worse. A raid on City Hall last night. The Lord Mayor and ten of his associates arrested. It's a nightly occurrence to see armoured cars running around the street and to hear machine guns fire all night. The next morning, the shop windows in the main street can be seen full of bullet holes." I mean, that's an amazing thing, isn't it, uh, to be sending it's back from Cork, image, yeah. from Cork to from Cork to Detroit. Please so, invest more money here. Yeah, we, <laughs> yes. please help. Send yeah. help. Yeah. So, despite that, there was never, you know, despite the fact that Ireland is in the grips of revolution and Cork, you know, in, especially from the second half of 1920 on, Cork might be the most dangerous place to be in Ireland. There's never a question of Ford pulling out. Yeah, which is testament to, to their commitment as much as anything
0: else, and and they withstood. So they were able to withstand revolution and, and revolution, and then civil war and everything else as well. But there were economic realities in other places that sometimes did prove a bit yeah. too much.
1: You could you could survive the War of Independence on your own doorstep. You could survive the Irish Civil War, but then of course comes the collapse of capitalism in the 1930s. You know, many, many people think it's over uh, with with the Great Depression, and six thousand workers are let go. I mean, that must have been amazing. Yeah. Six thousand people God. let go in a city the size of Cork. Can you imagine? Uh, then in the 80s. You know, as the world is changing economically, production moves elsewhere. And when they close the Ford factory, what's so strange about it, there's only 800 jobs really. There's 1,000 jobs left and 800 of them go. And when you read the government papers that were released in, in, in recent years, they they give you a sense how surprised the government were in the 1980s. They really didn't see this coming. They, they, they didn't uh, see the world moving the way it did. Yeah, That's surprising. Gareth Fitzgerald, his government said, we are prepared, as we've always been, to sit down with Ford to see what options are open by way of state action to enable the assembly of cars to continue in Cork. But look, it was over on Lee Side. It was a changing world economy. Production was happening elsewhere. And yeah, what a massive blow that was. People still talk about the effect of that uh, in the 1980s in Cork. Dunlop went around the same time, too. These great kind of employers of the city mm. just gone like that. And um, even today, despite
0: it being now four decades on, there is still a real connection between Cork and even just the name for yeah. it.
1: And that most Corkonian of newspapers, you know, the Irish Examiner, the paper, uh, yeah. the paper. Yeah. They insist that the pride is still there. Very nice recent piece reflecting on the factory they said that generations of families are grateful for the reliable employment and good pay Ford remains the only car company in Ireland to have its head office outside Dublin employing 40 people in its Cork office it never left its ancestral home so 40 people today you know it's it's not the, the great employer it was once upon a time but it is still there in Cork Still there in Cork
0: and still there continuing on the business that uh, Henry Ford's father uh, once possibly had in his mind's eye when he left this country in 1847 The history of Ford in Cork brought to us as ever uh, by Donald Fallon, a historian, author of the Come Here to Be books and of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia, and presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the history of Dublin, and also, I would think, a bona fide national treasure. Maybe that's just <laughs> me. On the record
1: with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven.
0: Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. It all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.